Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Mark Seed. Mark is passionate about personal finance and investing, and is the blogger behind My Own Advisor. Mark is currently investing in dividend-paying stocks and low-cost ETFs on his journey to financial freedom. In my interview with Mark, we discuss key considerations when deciding to leave one home for another, decluttering your home when downsizing, and Mark's top mortgage burning tips. Without further ado, here's my interview with Mark Seed. Hi Mark, how are you doing today? Good Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So I'd like to start off by asking you, what are some key considerations when deciding whether it makes sense to leave one home for another? Because I understand you have some experience with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, and again, thanks for having me on the podcast, Sean. It's, uh, it's nice to chat with you. You know, a lot of things go into whether or not you want to leave one home for the other. I think for for us, you know, um, whether it's owning versus renting or, or for our recent decisions, we, we can talk a little bit more on the podcast tonight. You know, downsizing from our current uh, single-family bungalow into a condo, it's really a lifestyle choice. And uh, although I can only speak from my own experiences and myself, I mean, um, there's lots of convenience that go with a condo. Obviously, there's a cost sometimes with condo fees and the like. We also used to live in a semi-detached home in, in the south of Ottawa as well. We weren't sure if we were going to start a family or not, my wife and I. Uh, so we stayed there for a few years. And then we've been in the bungalow now for about eight years now because we wanted a little bit more space, uh, a little bit more quiet space out of the city. But... You know, a lot of the things that we thought about were, you know, how much space do you really need and why? And we recognize that, um, that you know, we don't really need as much space as we think we need. How much time and maintenance are you willing to put in your home? I mean, for those that have kids, are you close to amenities, kids' schools, etc.? Uh, what's your commute like? Uh, do you want to be on the road all the time? That kind of stuff. What's your car situation like? I mean, you're going to put a lot of money into one car, two cars, and how long-term and sustainable is that? So... You know, lots of things we could talk about, and, and certainly we could, we could chat about those uh, today. But uh, I would say there's always trade-offs with housing, and you really need to think through some of those decisions for you and your family. It definitely and it was one of con- your concern about selling your current property with what's going on in the market. If you could get good value for that, and I've always heard the saying in real estate, it's not about timing the market it's about time in the market as scott mcgillivray has said so i'm just curious was that a concern at all for yourself i mean i guess if the market is balanced or sellers or buyers market you're kind of selling and buying in the same market so it kind of seems irrelevant to me yeah it's a bit of a wash from that perspective and you know i have to be honest like when looking at the housing market in ottawa late it's been trending slowly upward. It certainly hasn't been a boom like it has been in the greater Toronto area, the GTA, or you know, the greater Vancouver area. I think, you know, and again, I don't have all my facts in front of me, but you've probably seen some, some peaks and valleys in the Calgary market. Montreal, I think, has been slowly taking off over recent years. And so Ottawa is kind of 
wouldn't say it's flatline by any means, but it's probably inching slowly upward year over year. It's largely a function of the of the the decent economy here in the city, government work, government contract work, et cetera, you know, uh, an emerging tech sector again. So lots of good reasons why the economy is probably pretty good in Ottawa, but it wasn't really a factor for us about moving or not. It was really more of a lifestyle choice. And, and for all the reasons that, you know, I just mentioned in terms of how much space do you really need? Uh, what's the next phase of our life in terms of maybe semi-retirement in another five to 10 years? We were really thinking all those things through and we recognized that, uh, you know, 1,200 square feet for two people is probably plenty of space. You know, I grew up in something similar with, with my sister and my, my two parents and, dog and we only have 1300 square feet and you know we did just fine and uh, you don't certainly need a mcmansion to be happy although i can appreciate people do put pride and value into a larger home sometimes too totally and that's a great point that you make because i wrote a blog post a while back about how half as many people in canada are living in houses but the houses have doubled in size over the last 30 or 40 years i believe so it, it seems to me that Canadians seem to love these big houses, but I'm glad that you recognized and took the time to ask yourself that question. Do I really need all that space? Because I certainly see that in my own situation. I could live upstairs myself, but do I really need three bedrooms and two bathrooms for one person when I'm not even home that often to begin with? So I, still, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, that's exactly it for us. I mean, we have a three-bedroom home we really enjoy here, but there are, you know, a couple of rooms that we actually don't use very much, and there's, you know, a nicely partially finished basement that we have that I'm not down there, but once a few times in the winter for, you know, riding my bike and watching the hockey games or entertaining friends. So at the end of the day, I think it's it's really important for people to kind of take a, a step back, look at some of the objective value that they're getting out of their home, uh, whether they're renting, uh, whether they want to buy. Um, and really sit down and be honest with yourself about what you need, because I think you'll be surprised at the answer. Now, Mark, you made the excellent point that housing decisions are not just financial ones. There are often a range of emotions and lifestyle decisions involved. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, for those of uh, folks that want to visit my site, we can provide some of those particulars later on, Sean. I wrote a three-part series on my site regarding this housing dilemma, and I, I kind of wrestled with the whole idea in terms of moving back into the city and downsizing. And, you know, it didn't come easy because we do enjoy the space and the, and the land and the neighbors and the community that we're in right now. But, you know, at the end of the day, while money is important and it's a good tool and it's obviously a good tool to use wisely, it isn't all about money. And so as we get older, you know, we're now um, in our mid-40s. We're really genuinely starting to appreciate our, our time and, and value our time, whether it's um, you know doing things on our own through hobbies, doing things with our friends, uh, spending time with our family, uh, meeting new people in terms of uh, you know communities or, or activities outside of work. And so we're we're gaining a far better appreciation, probably a lot more than you know maybe we, we should have had in our 30s. But we're getting more better appreciation where you know what is our time worth and how best to spend it. And so. In moving back to the city, one of the things that we've been thinking about is, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier, going down to one car. And so we don't have to worry about shoveling the extra car around for maintenance and winter tire rotations and all other fun stuff. The other benefits of where we bought and, you know, we keep hearing location, location, location is really important. But we are, albeit a, a five-minute walk or ten-minute walk at the very most, if we were usually to groceries, to, you know, our, our pharmacy, I'm 15 minutes away from you know any restaurants that we want to entertain ourselves at and, and the like. So we're very close within walking distance of all those things. And um, when we don't need the car, we obviously won't take it. We can walk everywhere. We can bike everywhere. 
And so the ability to walk to groceries, to walk to restaurants, to even walk to our employment, which is only 15 or 20 minutes up the road, will really simplify our lives, but it will also give us back some of the, some, the nice things about being in that location in terms of um, getting some exercise and wanting to walk and bike and, and, and basically live in the city a little bit more. Those are things that we can't necessarily do right here. So again, really much a lifestyle choice back to where we were of being older 14 years ago. But, but yeah, certainly um, life isn't all about money. Money's a great tool, but you really want to think about, you know, kind of what value that your house may offer and what amenities and services may be in your area as well. Yeah, that was certainly a big consideration with where I purchased my property because I don't own a vehicle myself. So I wanted to be within walking distance of, as you mentioned, restaurants and other amenities like a supermarket and ended up buying in Scarborough, which is part of Toronto, but I'm in an older part of Scarborough where it's old-fashioned. It's not as as much urban sprawl as people kind of picture the rest of Scarborough. So it's kind of more like the beach area of Toronto, if any of the listeners know that. But I really like how the stores are close together and I'm a 10-minute bus ride from the subway, so certainly when I was buying my property, those were important things because I was, wasn't planning to buy a vehicle anytime soon, and this area pretty much has everything that I need, and I could pretty much see this as my forever home and forever neighborhood, if that's a term. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's definitely a term, and I think you know, kudos to you for, like we've talked about, rec- really recognizing kind of what you value in your home or uh, where you want to live and kind of putting the, the financial decisions aside to a point and making sure you've kind of got those priorities in order. And then you can maybe do the math and figure out you know, where you're going to get your most bang for your buck to, to marry up that value. Great. So you looked at both living in the city and staying on the outskirts of town. Talk about some of the pros and cons of each. Yeah. So definitely, you know, around the amenities, that was important. We do need to drive a short distance to amenities now. So again, going down to one car, will be absolutely great in the city and maybe long term we won't even have a car at all but you know we feel with our, our cold Ottawa winters that's probably a, a pretty big priority to be able to get around when it's minus 30 or more below yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. you know, entertainment value is important too you know uh, we do go to restaurants we, we do enjoy the VIP cinemas from time to time uh, I'm a big fan of, of Ottawa Red Blacks our CFL team here in Ottawa so I have season tickets and so the ability to kind of walk to the game and walk home after the game and not worry about the bus if I don't want to or worry about you know driving home later at night or those types of things those are all kind of things that we thought of in terms of a like I said a next phase lifestyle where hopefully within five or ten years of of full-time work we can consider part-time jobs or just working on our hobbies and passions and volunteering some other time so for all the other reasons and more I think that's really where we landed with the condo decision and uh, you know we're pretty excited about it Um, lots of things to do here and lots of things to consider for the condo but overall I think it's gonna be a very positive change for us. Great. And that's a perfect segue to my next question. Now, as you alluded to, you ended up deciding to downsize to a condo. Can you walk us through your thought process? Why was this a good decision for your wife and you? And what are some key considerations when other people are looking to downsize similar to yourself? I'll pick up where I left off in terms of the last uh, response. In terms of, I think money matters to a point. You know, you you don't necessarily want, in my opinion, all your assets tied up in real estate. And it will be okay to have some of your money in, in real estate, and whether it's um, you know your principal residence or a secondary place in terms of a rental or maybe a summer home or you know for those that are they're doing quite well. 
that's great. But I really consider a house as a place to live and, and you got to live somewhere. And it's nice that the house appreciates in value over time for sure. But uh, ultimately everybody needs a roof over their head. And so when we were looking at downsize, we were kind of looking at the rooms of our house and figuring, you know, what do we really need to live in? And, you know, we want a nice kitchen and we need a, a decent bedroom and a living space and those types of things. And other than that, we really don't need much. And so that was a big decision to downsize. We don't really use a lot of the space in our current home, yet we're paying for it. You know, we're putting heat through the, the ducts for it. We're pumping the air conditioning this summer because it's so brutally warm and humid in Ottawa tonight. And we're fortunate to have a nice irrigation system for our house, but we've got to service that every year. And so, you know, we don't really want to be in the dilemma of, of a house rich or cash poor position. We really want some of our assets spread around through, you know, our TFSAs, our RSPs, our real estate, maybe our pension at work and the stuff. So when we're looking at our kind of whole portfolio, those are some of the considerations. And, and obviously looking at a lot of the expenses that are flowing through this bungalow, we may or may not have them in the condo, or at least they'll be totally offset by the condo fees where you know we're not servicing a lot of the things here we're just doing it on a much smaller scale in the condo so it did take some math and i know it scares a lot of people doing the math but it is an important exercise to go through sometimes yeah because i'm sure you can speak from personal experience but it can get quite costly to be a homeowner i mean i could speak from just a few events this year like at the end of last year my dishwasher ended up breaking and, and flooding through to the basement and then there was a couple of windstorms in Toronto that tore shingles off my roof and then the wood out front of my house that's holding up the garden is rotting and that's going to cost hundreds or thousands of dollars to fix. So I'm sure you can speak from personal experience, but owning a home can certainly be costly. And I guess it's just nice when you're getting closer to retirement not to have to stress about stuff like waterproofing the house or getting all these major renovations done. Yeah, like, I mean, I can go through a quick inventory. Like, since we've moved here eight years ago, we put on a, a fairly uh, industrial steel metal roof, which is good for the home value, but very costly for us from a capital perspective, more than, you know, your typical asphalt and tar shingles. Uh, we put in some window wells here. As recently as this summer, our our fridge broke, so we had to replace that because, uh, A, we needed a good fridge, and B, we wanted something decent when we sell the house eventually. We have an HRV, which is a heat recovery ventilation system to kind of bring in, you know, cooler air and, and make sure we reduce the humidity to a, a modest level over time. So, you know, there's all these kind of capital expenses that you have to think about as a homeowner and, you know, whether you're waterproofing or window wells or you're replacing fridges or dishwashers break, you do have to think about your kind of life cycle with the appliances in the home, the maintenance of the home. And then, you know, like I said, just the usual day-to-day -day utilities, right? You know, hydro is probably not going to go down in value. Uh, water bills will continue to be fairly costly over time. Depending on your telco situation, you may have Netflix or other things. They're, they're fairly cheap, but again, those prices probably won't stay the same for forever. So all these kind of things that you enjoy in terms of creature comforts or anything in terms of maintenance or any capital outlays, you kind of have to think about how long you're going to be in the house and are you willing to, to pony up money because uh, home ownership isn't, uh, isn't necessarily cheap. Definitely, Ed. I was just curious, in terms of all those expenses for your home over the years, have you come up with some sort of system to budget for them ahead of time? Like, do you take a walk around your house and say to yourself, well, I think the roof's going to need to be replaced soon. Looks like the fridge is making some noises. It might need to be replaced soon. I'm just curious if you have some sort of system like that. I'm trying to figure that out myself, but I haven't had much luck. 
Yeah, well, you know what I've actually did, and uh, it's not overly scientific, is when we had our house inspection, um, we actually were fortunate to have a pretty good guy, and he was he was fairly thorough, and he kind of did a walk about the house. He obviously checked the electrical and looked at, you know, our, our well and septic system, and, and, and it was pretty thorough, and he gave us a, a pretty comprehensive book, and one of the things I did after we moved into the house is I kind of went through that book, and I, I looked at some of the notes he made, and he said, okay, well, you know, you may want to get some window wells in because it looks like there'll be some water corrupting around your house and say, okay, well, there's a few grand that we'll need to invest in that. And I already mentioned the roof, so we want to make that change because um, any new homeowner that buys our house will be fortunate to have basically a, a forever roof, a steel metal roof that's warranted for, for 40 years or more. So we did the math, and, and what I did is I went through the book, and I basically put a dollar value for some of those things. And what we were able to do with my wife is we're to say, okay, we had to prioritize which is more important, which would be one of these things that we do and how are we going to be basically starting to, to fund this house maintenance fund. And, and we've been fortunate over the years where we haven't had to go into a lot of debt to service some of the big capital outlays. We've tried to save in advance for some of these things. And where we couldn't, um, yeah, we borrowed some money temporarily, but we paid it off quite quickly knowing that uh, obviously paying debt is paying someone else first and you're not paying yourself. So uh, we're very cautious about how much more you know we would do and over a short period of time for any improvements and we basically keep a, a fairly healthy cash emergency fund right now in a high interest savings account because we know things like fridges will break down and dishwashers will need repairs and some pumps will fail and that kind of stuff and so we want to keep a, a bit of money in there because if and when they happen the last thing i want to be stressing about is where i'm going to find the money Great. So since you'll be living in a smaller place, as you mentioned, downsizing to a condo, you'll more likely need a lot less stuff. Any advice for decluttering your home? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, we've been on a bit of a purge mode actually right now. And I think to be honest, lists help. My wife is, uh, you know, she works in strategy at a national not-for-profit organization and uh, she's very good at, uh, you know, organizing and lists and, you know, having uh, to-dos and timelines for those things. So she's been great to really kind of itemize, you know, what, what is it that we can get rid of? What can we sell on PGG? What can we sell on used Ottawa? Is there anything we can give away to friends or gift to family? Ask family members what they need and, and what they may like. And you'd be surprised what kind of pops up here in the garage or in the basement that they, they may need or want, or they can use for their, for their kids, uh, you know, moving out of their house or whatever. So we've been doing all those things over the last year. We've made a list. Uh, we've put some timelines against what we should sell and why we should get rid of it and we haven't used it in five years and maybe it should go on the list and that kind of stuff. Put stuff on Kijiji, we've had some good success with that and some small items. We've asked family members if they want anything. We'll be asking family members yet again and friends in the new year, I'm sure, if they want anything. You know, in terms of actually selling stuff online, what I really find is to do some research, like some quick searches on those um, resale sites. And if you really want it gone, basically offer about five to 10% less than what everybody else is on it, honoring. And to be honest, you'll probably find it disappear out of your out of your place within you know, a, a few days, uh, if, if not more than, than, than a week. So that way you have less hassles to deal with, you have less emails to answer. And at the end of the day, it is just a, it is money, it is just a bit of a tool. You gotta think about your opportunity costs and how much your time is worth running around trying to find a, a buyer for something for $10 more. It's, it's probably not worth it. As the saying goes, one person's trash is another person's treasure. A few years ago, I was moving from living with my mother at her basement, and I was moving to the house that I'm living at now, and I just didn't want to take a ton of stuff with me. And it amazed me that I went on eBay, and 
all these people were spending all this money on Star Wars action figures and memorabilia. And I remember I hadn't touched it in like five years and it ended up selling all these action figures and made over $500. So certainly don't just assume that nobody wants your old stuff. There's probably a market for it somewhere on the World Wide Web. Yeah, totally. And uh, you'd be surprised what people want. Uh, it, it's always worth posting something and seeing it sells. And we're also passionate about, you know, trying to donate things to the extent possible, right? We, we recognize there's a lot of people in, in need, people that um, would be gladly take some, some gently used clothes or furniture items. And so where we can, we're, it's not that we post everything online. We, we do try to donate things where we can because, uh, you know, we recognize people are just starting out or may have fallen on hard times. And I think it's always important to consider those people um, that may be less fortunate than you and, and make sure you try to give back where you can. Great. So you're also somebody who aspires to burn your mortgage. What are some of your best mortgage burning tips for reaching financial freedom sooner? Yeah, well, I, I haven't written a book about it like you, Sean, um, but, <laughs> but I, do, I do practice some of the tips that were absolutely uh, headlined in your Burn Your Mortgage book, and, um, and you know, you, you definitely got some great press for these tactics, and you, you accomplished it on your own, so kudos to you. Thanks. Definitely accelerate your mortgage payments. You know, we go bi-weekly accelerated. There's various terms for it, but I would consider trying to go for your bi-weekly, your 26 payments a year. Or even your 52 payments a year, you know, your weekly payments, instead of something monthly, but the monthly interest does that up. And I think if you can break that down into a manageable, a more manageable chunk, you know, align it with your payment schedule for work, if that's bi-weekly or weekly, that would be something I would strongly consider you to do. Shrink your amortization period, you know, instead of going with uh, what the banks may offer you or the financial institutions, could be 25 years be 20 years you know maybe do some math and see if you can go with 15 yes your payments may be a little bit higher but my goodness you're going to save potentially thousands of dollars on interest payments and uh, those thousands of dollars eventually find their way back into your pocket i would encourage you to make lump sum payments we've been doing this over the years periodically typically put a you know a thousand dollars at a time we've got a bonus from work uh, we're fortunate to do that uh, you know we put a thousand bucks down or two thousand bucks down in any given year and it doesn't seem like a lot of money, but again, it can really cut some of those hard-earned dollars that you would be paying an interest payment off your mortgage. I think rounding up your mortgage payments is easy. You know, you can even play some games with that in terms of your savings rate. So you go out and you, you spend dinner and you think you're going to spend 100 bucks, and you actually only spend 89 or, you know, $76. Well, then take the difference and throw it into your savings account or your emergency fund. You can use the same concept when you're rounding up your mortgage payments. So say your, your statement comes through and you should be paying the 869 or 756 or whatever it may be bi-weekly, then just round it up to an even 900 or $800 and you'll be mortgage-free that much sooner. And then where possible, consider refinancing if the math makes sense. So maybe talk to a mortgage broker, get them to run some numbers for you. There's tons of online tools and calculators out there. Mortgage rates have been historically low. We know they're inching up uh, over time. But if you've been locked into a very long term and a very high rate, you never know. It may, it may be uh, worth refinancing and you don't know if you don't ask. That, that's a great point because at the time that we're recording this, you can get prime minus a full 1%. But perhaps when you signed up for your variable rate mortgage, it was only 50 basis points. So don't just assume because you you have a variable rate mortgage, you can't save money either are always different options out there. So certainly I encourage you to phone up a mortgage broker and just kind of periodically check in with them and see if there is a, a way to help you save money because the economy and, and the mortgage market is always changing. So it doesn't hurt to have a yearly check-in with your broker and 
see if there's a way that you could be paying down your mortgage sooner and keeping more of your hard-earned money in your pocket where it belongs. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, the thing is, is it, it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, and if you don't know, you know, a, a lot of terms there, you know, variable rate mortgages, fixed rate, closed terms, open terms, it's okay not to know all the details. I would strongly encourage folks to, to reach out to a mortgage broker. There's lots of them around. They will gladly take, uh, you know, some of your business. They, they, they get paid by the financial institutions that lend the money. Look at various calculators. Google, Google can absolutely be your friend in this regard. And, and look and see, you know, where, where you can potentially save some money through a refinancing. It's not to say it's a hard and fast rule that has to be done, but it's just one of those many options that are, that are in your toolbox. Great. Well, Mark, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So I'm always working on the blog, Sean. So my blog is myownadvisor.ca. Quick Google search should come up uh, in, in one of the top uh, searches there. I'm always working on posting, um, you know, my perspectives on personal finance and investing, whether that's uh, some of the favorite ETFs that are that are great to own in terms of low-cost exchange-traded funds that can put even more money in your pocket other than all those mortgage tips I just uh, hopefully mentioned. I talk about my dividend investing journey in terms of uh, how my wife and I are trending to a, a modest form of, of semi-retirement or, you know, maybe some form of financial freedom in the next five to 10 years. I answer a bunch of reader questions as well. I recently posted an article about thinking about tons of beneficiary information regarding your TFSAs and RSPs and, and really how to manage things from a tax efficient perspective, whether it's for your state or even today. And so I do talk about a whole host of personal finance and investing topics on the site. And I, I encourage anybody to check out the site, subscribe to the site, join the journey, ask me questions, interact with a, you know, a couple thousand readers that follow the site every day. So um, myownadvisor.ca and uh, happy to interact with you. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include that in the show notes and that comes to the end of our show. So thanks very much, Mark, for being on the show. It was wonderful to have you. Appreciate it, Sean. We'll do it again. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning. <laughs>